If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Happy Mother's Day. Hope you all called your mama and told her mother Happy Mother's Day. It is always a pleasure to be with you guys, always an honor to uh, speak uh, before the church here. Um, I did this last in the nine o'clock, so I'm going to do it again, but uh, Dylan's going to hate this, but uh, I just wanted to uh, bring to your attention, uh, Dylan Neely had a birthday this week, and uh, I think we should really uh, celebrate that. The Bible tells us that the overseers who lead effectively are worthy of double honor, so I think we should give him a double hand clap, all right? All right. <clears throat> so, so that's, you know, really a, uh, a, a, a shout of praise to the Lord for these men like Dylan who lead us, who work tirelessly to make sure that uh, we are prayed for, that we are counseled, that we are cared for here, uh, to, to spiritually looking after our souls. And I think it's important that we, uh, that we honor them. Um, you know, I tried to make a joke about a, a love offering that we would have later and all this kind of stuff, but Dylan gave me this look that was just like, oh, that's way too far. You've gone too far. So, so I won't get to that. Uh, but please do show Dylan your love, your affection. Tell him that you are thankful for him. I'm so thankful. I remember Dylan when he was 19, and he was first came for year team, and he just was this, uh, you know, just naive kid. Didn't really know what was going on, what he was going to do. And uh, you know, the word gave us, uh, the Lord gave us a word back then about his uh, the mantle for leadership that was on him. Little did I know that he would become my pastor. And so I'm just so thankful to see that. Thank you, brother. Um, all right. So today we are in uh, a new sermon series. That sermon series is called Bless. You got it plastered here on the screen. Um, Obviously, we're going to talk a lot over the next six weeks about blessings. I think it's important that we answer a couple of questions, a couple of foundational questions before we do that so that we are prepared for what the Lord has for us. Um, Those three questions are these. Number one, what is God's plan and purpose in blessing mankind? Number two, what does it really mean to be blessed? And number three, how do we, modern people, fit into God's global blessing strategy. The easiest way to understand this BLESS acronym here is that it provides us a framework for living lives that imitate God. We know that every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the Father of lights, but we don't always know what to do with those blessings. Some of us, frankly, get it twisted We assume that we have obtained these things with our brilliance, our intellect, our hustle. Sometimes we recognize, okay, yeah, God's hand is is in my good fortune. You know, God did this for me. But, you know, it sort of ends with me. I mean, if God gave me all this stuff, I should be enjoying it. It's for me to enjoy. Maybe if we're feeling generous, we share it with some friends or some family. Oh, if you're really spiritual, though, maybe you give a little something back to say thank you, God. Well, 
Let's ask the question, what was God's purpose in blessing us? Last week, Brian walked us through the story of Abraham and Lot from Genesis 13. That was part of the update on the next initiative. Brian didn't know that he was setting me up for my sermon today, but you know, that's God's providence. Genesis 13 introduces us to two very different approaches to our resources. The story tells us that Abraham and Lot have become very, very wealthy, wealthy herders, shepherds. They've got so much livestock, so much cattle that they can't even live in the same vicinity. Abraham's servants are fighting with Lot's servants over who's going to bring the sheep where and get the, the prized land and the grass and the water and all these sorts of things. So <clears throat> I thought about this problem and I thought, I don't know if I can really relate to this. I mean, I've never been so rich that my servants didn't have a place to do their work, you know? But then I thought, well, no, there's, there's an analogous experience here. And this is a total first world problem. It's that problem that you have when you're moving and you pack up all your stuff and you think you're almost done and you use up every box and then you discover there's another drawer, there's another closet, there's another something that you've got to pack. And all you can think is, where did all this stuff come from? I mean, how do I live with this stuff? I don't even have a place to put it in a box. How am I going to get it to the next place, the new apartment or the new house? This happened to me last year. We were moving from Arizona to Missouri. And uh, I sent my wife and the kids off like a couple days early, thinking, oh, we're almost done. Everything's set up. It's cool. I'll just get this rest of this stuff all done for me. And I go into the bathroom and I open the drawer and I realize, oh my gosh, all of my wife's stuff is still in these drawers. The bathroom is filled. And I'm, I'm pulling this stuff out and it's like pink tubes of this, blue tubes of that, body spray, hair wash, you know, Clinique makeup bags. And just, I was just like, where did all this stuff come from? I've never seen my wife use any of these things. How is it that my house is still filled with this? She doesn't even live here anymore. So fine. I packed it up, threw it in and bought some more boxes, dragged it all out to Missouri. We're moving to our new house. I'll tell you what, my garage is still filled, ceiling to floor, boxes. Where is this stuff going to go? My wife and I haven't had this many arguments about who's going to do what, who's going to keep what, where, what are we going to throw out? I've never experienced this kind of strife. And I thought, you know, this must be what it was like for Abraham and Lot. Interestingly, in this story, in Genesis 12 or 13, we discover something very important about Abraham's character. Abraham recognizes that he's got this business problem, this financial issue. What are we going to do with our servants and our livestock? And it says that Abraham called out to the Lord. So before he even comes to Lot to have a conversation, to look for a solution, he puts the Lord first. He seeks the Lord in this area of finances. Now, as the story unfolds, we discover that Abraham experiences more and more of God's increasing favor throughout his life. Lot, on the other hand, comes to great ruin. Lot in the story basically says, oh, yeah, there's an issue here. Uh, well, let's do the thing that's best. Um, I can raise more sheep down in the valley near Sodom, so I'll take the valley. And then it's part ways. So Lot, like most of us, basically, he weighs the pros and cons. He's pretty wise. He thinks about his issue, his problem. He solves his problem. Seems pretty good. But Lot fails to ask the Lord for his 
understanding. And Lot puts himself at risk. But Abraham, ah, Abraham, he prays and God blesses him. So, you know, if I just pray to God before I make decisions, he'll bless all my decisions and he'll make me wealthy. Well, that might be right. But this perspective, while elevating prayer, diminishes God. It turns God into a cosmic vending machine, right? Two prayers in, hit the button, blessings come out. Praises go up and the blessings come down. Well, I think this mindset really betrays a misunderstanding of the purpose of blessing in Abraham's life. Just before Genesis 13, we have Genesis 12, which we read today. In this passage, God promises blessings for Abraham, no doubt. In so doing, though, God is revealing a major clue to God's plan in redemptive history. He speaks to Abraham. He promises to bless Abraham. But Abraham isn't the only one meant to benefit from these blessings. No, God promises that Abraham will be blessed in such a way that it will overflow and become a blessing to others, to every family on earth, in fact. Abraham is blessed so that Abraham can pay it forward and be a blessing. And this is the answer to our first question. God's purpose in blessing people is so that they can live lives that will extend God's blessing to others. So the next question, what does it really mean to be blessed? Let's look again at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Seven times blessing and cursing show up in this passage. The repetition is not an accident. God is trying to get our attention. God's strategy in his great human experiment has always been a blessing strategy. But what exactly is the Bible's view of blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? In the simplest terms, to be blessed is to have a position of unmerited favor with God. Yes, it's true. Blessings can encompass material, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual categories. However, the root of all biblical blessing begins with receiving God's undeserved favor. Romans 4 tells us this. David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Lawless deeds forgiven? Sins covered? Against him the Lord will not count his sin? This person is clearly undeserving of God's favor and is clearly experiencing undeserved blessings. So let's look again at Abraham's life. Has Abraham earned God's favor through good works? Was he a man of such exceptional moral character that he deserved for God to choose him of all the people on the earth to carry out the blessing plan? No. If you look at chapter 11, it's a pretty terrible story, actually. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, have uh, traveled into Egypt. And, uh, you know, apparently Sarah is like knockout gorgeous. I mean, she's like super hot. 
And Abraham gets kind of nervous. He's like, I mean, these, these Egyptians, and they're savages. They might just kill me and steal my wife. So I've gotten a great idea. I'll lie to them. I'll tell them she's my sister. And then everything will be fine. I'll be safe. So he does that. And then the Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem, makes her his concubine. What does Abraham do? Uh, excuse me, Pharaoh. Actually, I'm sorry. That, that's my wife. You can't do that? No. Abraham doesn't do a thing. Abraham lets it fly like it's cool. Now, I have a daughter. She's pretty young. One day she'll you know, want to date a guy, I guess, when she's 30. Uh, when that guy shows up, he can't do this, okay? He can drop out of school, fine, whatever. He can drive a junky car, eh. He can show up late. Maybe he could even forget to open the door for her, fine. What he can't do is he can't take her to a foreign land and hand her over to some Pharaoh and let him do whatever he wants. I would at least expect him to stand up for her honor or make a fuss or at least get punched in the face first. I mean, Abraham basically does nothing. Abraham is a terrible husband. He's a terrible guy, a, a real coward. Not the guy that I would have picked to be my global ambassador of blessing to the world. But we find that God, God's ways aren't like our ways. God loves to choose broken, fearful, flawed people and use them for his glory. And so Abraham is definitely an undeserving character. Abraham's righteousness does not originate from within Abraham. Abraham's righteousness is bestowed onto Abraham. In Genesis 15, it tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, which means that Abraham's faith allowed him to access a position of special favor with God that Abraham didn't earn and that Abraham didn't deserve. But because Abraham chose to believe God's promises, it unlocked blessing in his life. So what about these promises? I mean, these are some pretty hefty promises. I'm talking about making your name great and making you a father of nations and blessing the whole world through you. Does God come through? He does. We find that God is the trustworthy one in this relationship. So originally, his name is Abram. Abram means exalted father. That's a pretty cool name. Abram becomes the patriarch of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. In 2012, a global census showed that greater than 50% of the world ascribed to follow either Christianity or Islam. Three and a half billion people are following an Abrahamic religion. Sounds like Abraham has a pretty great name. If you read Abraham's life and then on to see what happens with his family, you find that he has a son, Isaac, and Isaac has a son, Jacob, and Jacob has a son, Joseph. And Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph moves his family and his brothers into Egypt, and it's about 70 people. And there in Egypt, over hundreds of years, the people grow and they expand. And this family of 70 turns into a nation. When God miraculously delivers the Israelites out of Egypt, it says that there were greater than 600,000 men. 600,000 men. That means probably... A million, million and a half people total, adding women and children. So God has definitely taken this man, this 85-year-old man with no children, whose wife is barren, and turned him into 
a massive nation. If that weren't enough, he brings the Israelites into their own land and establishes them there, raises up a king, and they become a global superpower, great influence. I will make you a great nation. Check. So that leaves us one major promise in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that's left to fulfill. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what could God possibly have in mind? I mean, how is Abraham going to bring a blessing that, for the whole world? Well, let's remember our definition of blessing. Special favor with God. How will God provide global access to undeserved favor, to a grace relationship for the whole world? Hmm. It's like Sunday school. The answer is always Jesus. Romans chapter 3 tells us this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Here's how another translation puts it. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as promised where? In the writings of Moses, that is Genesis. And the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. And this is true of everyone who believes. Righteousness in the biblical sense is a radical relationship of grace. Right standing before God where God chooses to overlook our human rebellion and instead corresponds with us from a position of blessing. We see that this righteousness is only made available through the man, Jesus Christ, who happens to be the great-grandson of Abraham. Great, 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 great. Okay, fine. 42 generations. In Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Every spiritual blessing, that sin's forgiven, a loving heavenly father, adoption into Christ's family, a new identity, deliverance from shame and guilt, freedom from the destructive power of sin, a community of support for our faith, spiritual gifts for service, emotional and physical healing, and an eternity reigning with Jesus Christ. And the list goes on and on and on. And these blessings were God's plan before the foundation of the world. From the beginning, God's primary missional engagement has been with people through blessing. God's strategy today is still blessing and he's dispensing these blessings. He's been dispensing these blessings ever since the beginning. And as we see from Abraham's life, God is trustworthy to fulfill what he has promised. When we read the Bible, we got to tune our minds to the blessing frequency. Every story is filled with God's undeserved blessings pouring out to mankind. Even when God seems angry, he's blessing. Even when there's judgment, he's blessing. 
because most of his judgments are against those who would harm his people, his covenant people. Blessings, blessings, blessings. And if that doesn't convince you, let's talk about Jesus. Throughout his ministry, he brings a message that announces the fulfillment of the Abraham promise. And his message, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. This message is substantiated by miraculous signs and wonders. Actual manifestations of the blessing. Manifestations of what it means to be in a covenant relationship with God. When John the Baptist is unjustly imprisoned by Herod and awaiting his death, he gets a little depressed. It's reasonable. He sends his disciples to talk to Jesus. And the question that they ask Jesus is, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham? Let's look at Jesus' response. Jesus says to them, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' reply is simple. He says, respect my authority. Respect my authority. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one of Israel. I come with blessing. My resume speaks for itself. Everywhere you go, you see people saved, people healed, dead raised. I came to bless. Do not be offended that I have not come to judge your enemies or to cut down Herod, but I have come to extend God's blessing to people who don't deserve it. And that was Christ's strategy, to bless. Through his earthly ministry and his death on the cross, he worked tirelessly to introduce men and women to the abundant life of relationship with God. Unmerited favor for God's chosen people. Third, what does this blessing thread woven all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what does it mean for you and for me, for modern people? Well, in the same letter to the Ephesians that we read before, Paul writes this. In chapter two, he says, by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. Again, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here we see more of the same. God's undeserved blessings falling on people, a gift. If you have received Christ, if you have entered into salvation, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. And that undeserved blessing makes you now God's masterpiece, his workmanship. And you are meant to do good works, to be a blessing. So go, walk, walk in your good works, be a blessing. In another place, Paul writes that we are God's ambassadors. We are heaven's state department and we serve the greatest king and we have the best diplomatic strategy, blessing. We should be very bold when we go. And frankly, I want God's State Department to get its swagger back. 
But how exactly are we going to do this? I confess, I often feel intimidated and overwhelmed when I think about sharing my faith, bringing the message of Christ, being a blessing. I mean, I'm not Jesus. Lepers aren't cleansed in my presence. The dead aren't raised. The lame do walk, but only after they get a hip replacement or a knee replacement. So when I look at Jesus' example, it can be a bit intimidating. How can we get involved in God's blessing strategy? In 2012, I visited Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And there's a New Frontiers church there and had the opportunity to uh, work with them, meet with them and uh, experience their life, their life of faith. Um, <clears throat> much of my experience in Zimbabwe was what you would expect. Dirt roads, sporadic plumbing, abject poverty. But in the midst of it all, great generosity and resilient faith. Seriously. You guys think we have like banging worship over here, like we're like, it's like, you got to visit an African church. Our African brothers and sisters are on fire for the Lord. So thankful, so joyful. So what is it? What is it that they have that we sometimes lack? What gives them this fervor? Well, I think the difference in part is related to the difference between a savings account and a distributorship. You see, most of us, we look at our lives like a savings account. We look at our lives and we see that the account balance is high. We feel pretty good. We breathe a sigh of relief. We know that we've got a little extra cushion if something unexpected happens. And we think we're doing pretty well. And when the account balance is low, well, then we get a little nervous. We're thinking, oh, how am I going to make the ends meet? Maybe I could work a couple extra shifts. Maybe I could get a little extra cash so I have that cushion. And then... Maybe if I can get that balance up again, I could start to think about giving or sharing these things. But God is calling us, friends, really, I think, inviting us to consider our lives more like an Amazon warehouse. You see, Amazon has become the number one leading online retailer in the United States. And they did this through a very radical strategy. For many years, Amazon didn't produce a profit and people kept complaining, oh, this Amazon thing's never going to work. They didn't produce a profit because all their extra profits from sales, they poured back into their warehouses, into their distribution system. They have a, probably the most technologically advanced warehouses. When you order, when you click that thing on Amazon, a robot over in the warehouse pulls it off the shelf immediately and it's on the conveyor belt and it's going. That's why they can get you everything you want in two days. See, the Amazon top brass. They don't think, man, we got these warehouses. We're doing so well. Like what we really need to do is, is keep these warehouses full. Then we can maximize our corporate valuation and we'll really be something. They say, no, you know what? Amazon exists to distribute goods to consumers. Push it off the shelf. Keep this going. Those factories, they run all night, every hour of the day, because Amazon recognizes their job is to distribute to push things out so they can make room for the next shipment. Guys, in God's economy, we aren't meant to increase our value by saving, but to increase our distribution by giving. Our lives are not bank accounts that will be emptied through blessing others. Instead, we exist to be conduits between God's heavenly, infinite storehouse 
and the needs of the world. We have been invited to push out our resources so we can make room for the next delivery, the next blessing from God. Do you remember the parable of the talents? In this story, servants receive uh, investments from the master. And those servants who put those investments to work and multiply the investment and have something to bring back, they're the ones who are given more. They're given more to invest the next time around. And those servants who received the investment and were afraid to risk it, well, everything they have is taken away from them. We must train ourselves to think like a distribution center, not a savings account. My friends in Zimbabwe understood this, and this came out in our conversations. They understand that while their financial accounts may be low, their spiritual account is high. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And they experience the joy of the Lord, an immeasurable joy because they are participating in the work and they understand that they didn't deserve that opportunity and they're so thankful. They're busy distributing God's blessings because they choose to receive those blessings with an open hand, not holding on to them, but ready to distribute those blessings with God's leading. This may seem radical to you. It may seem obvious. But what you think isn't the question. It's what, you're, what are you doing? Are you considering the kingdom impact when you make professional and financial decisions like Abraham? Or are you looking out for number one, chasing after the next material blessing like Lot? Not only are, we, are there practical benefits to Abraham's approach, right? but there are subtle, even insidious dangers in Lot's approach. If you know anything about how Lot's life ends, you know it's exceedingly tragic. Lot is introduced as a righteous man, a respected man. But what happens is he moves down into the valley and his herds and his flocks, they grow. But Lot becomes integrated into this morally depraved society, Sodom. And we find that Lot has no spiritual influence with his neighbors. And then when God judges the city, he escapes by the hair on his chin. But he loses everything, even his wife. His wife, as they're fleeing, turns back and looks at the city, mourning the loss of their position and their power and their belongings as she's turned to a pillar of salt. And if that weren't enough, Lot escapes to the mountains and he's there with his two daughters who've lost their husbands and their sort of future, their chance at children and financial security. So his daughters crack, you know, hatch this plot and incestuously they get their father drunk and sleep with him so that they can have sons because if you have children, then you have someone to take care of you in your old age. And if you know, understand that children are, you know, your key to financial security in that time, then you realize the daughters are just chasing after that paper, just like Lot was, concerned about their financial security and their position, their influence, and how people will think about them as barren women, barren widows with no children. And then if that weren't bad enough, the two sons are Moab and Ammon. And if you read through the history of the nation of Israel, through the book of Judges and the book of Kings, you discover that Moab, the Moabites and the Ammonites become the spiritual and military enemies of God, constantly at war with God's people, the Israelites. 
Lot's children fighting Abraham's children. So we see that Lot, simply by making his decision, seeking after wealth, has put himself on his path. And in this, he has no influence, spiritual influence with his neighbors, no spiritual influence over his wife, no spiritual influence over his daughters, and no spiritual influence over his descendants. And he forfeits his position of favor that he had by being associated with Abraham. This is not the spiritual legacy that I want. It's not the spiritual legacy that you want. No, instead, we want to tap into Abraham's spiritual legacy. Like Abraham, we have to recognize that we are a sent people called out by God and blessed so that we can be a blessing. With that in mind, bless. This is a a simple five-step acronym, five-step approach for helping you to pursue your God-given destiny as a blesser. B, begin with prayer. Seek the Lord and communicate with him about his mission, the place that he's placed you and the people he wants you to reach. L, listen. Empathically engage the people around you that God has given you. Listen to their story. Hear their heart. See what God is doing. Eat. This is the best one, right? Share a meal. Sharing a meal with people breaks down barriers. Having people in your home or being in their home creates connection and intimacy. S, serve. When we serve, when we have skin in the game, when we prove that we're invested in others because it costs us something, it proves that we're interested in blessing them. We're interested in their benefit, not just ours. S, story. Invite others to meet the master blesser so that they will know who sent you and who is behind this action. This acronym, originally developed by Dave Ferguson in Chicago, uh, these blessed rhythms, they're meant to help us conceptualize God's mission in easy, bite-sized pieces. But it's not just easy to perform, it's also effective. Ferguson tells a story about uh, missionaries to Thailand. The missionaries to Thailand, uh, there's two groups. One group uh, has one strategy. Their strategy is basically, we're going to just share the message. We're going to just preach the gospel. We're going to invite people to make faith decisions for Jesus. We call them the converters. The second group said, you know, we're going to go in and we're going to make our strategy being a tangible blessing to these people, to their community. We're going to invest ourselves there. We're going to work hard on their behalf. We're going to carry their burdens with them. And when we have the opportunity to share the gospel, we definitely will. We're not going to hold back. And after two years, the two groups got together and they talked a little bit about what their experience was like. The converters said, you know, we're so happy to report two people gave their life to Christ. It's so exciting to see these lives changed. The blessers, on the other hand, they said, well, we saw 100 people make a faith decision for Jesus. So this story isn't meant to guarantee you that if you do this, bless, you're going to bring 100 people to church next week. I hope so. Or that you're going to have any particular kind of evangelistic success. But to show that blessing others is God's plan and it's an effective plan. 
God has been blessing mankind from the beginning, constantly seeking ways to get blessing into our lives. And the greatest blessing is to have a position of special, undeserved favor, relationship with God. Over the next five weeks, we'll spend time unpacking each of these five steps in this path to blessing. But this week, you have homework. Your homework is to take a blessing inventory of your life. Consider the many blessings that God has already given you. And think about how can you harness them? How can you put them to work to extend God's kingdom? To make blessing available to those around you. This could include your finances. But frankly, friends, God is doing so much more than just money can achieve. He's interested in all of your life. Your hopes and your dreams, your personality, your skills, your job, your wisdom, your influence, your joy. All of these blessings were bestowed on you, bestowed on us, so that we could share them with the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me pray.